0: Attention please, places for top of show, places for top of show. Hello and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have Angela De Gregoria, who I met back in Summer of 2015, I believe it was, uh, when I was working with Belcanto at Caramore, and she was with uh, Orchestra St. Luke's, and we joined forces multiple times a summer to produce Belcanto opera at Caramore. So Angela is the director of operations at Orchestra St. Luke's. Um, I want to have her describe what that is because even though she's told me multiple times, I'm not exactly sure. But for me, she was like my counterpart ish during um, during Caramore days. So she would stand backstage with me with a stopwatch, make sure everybody was there on time, make sure we took breaks when we were supposed to take breaks, help me set up chairs and music stands in the rehearsal room, fight over how much room singers get versus orchestra gets. So she was kind of like, <laughs> like my counterpart. So, Welcome Angela. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. So, to start, what was your trajectory getting to where you are now? Is this did you always think you were going to work with orchestras?
1: Actually, no. And it's funny because I was like while I was thinking about this podcast, I was really like trying to remember all the the paths that got me to here. And I was getting a little bit nostalgic. Um, (laughs) But but actually I was, uh, my goal was to be a stage manager. Um, (laughs) I had gone.
0: (laughs) This is a good goal. I like it.
1: You know, I had, uh, I had gone to school for a theater and I like to think I was on a stage manager track, um, but who, who really knows, but I was, let's see. Um, you know, I was, I did Putnam County Spelling Bee as the workshop, but then they dropped me when they went to the city. So who Uh, knows? (laughs) Perhaps I wasn't as as viable as I thought. Um, They just want like
0: New York City stage managers. They're like, oh, you're a city stage manager. I'm like, well, I live here. I don't know what that
1: has to do with anything, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I tell myself. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Um, You know, I was working as the productionist Assistant: That's what PA stands for, right? right. Uh, for Twelve Angry Men at the Roundabout, like right before I got the St. Luke's gig. So I feel like that was sort of my my pathway. I don't have a music background. I didn't have any intention to go into classical music. Um, Neither did Cindy. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> no, nope. just you know, just appeared. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I was doing theater, I was I was trying to do that, I was, you know, gigging around and then I started stage managing for Saint Luke's education shows, which was also funny because they were um the education shows always had a theatrical component and these were dance. Again, I don't read music, so my my books of like how to call dance when I don't read music was, you know, a lot of hilarity of visuals and timings. Um <laughs> But somehow like, we'll nobody noticed. <laughs> it was like you know, here's like here's a picture of like somebody's gonna twirl, and then we'll be three minutes in, and then you're gonna call go it like you. <laughs> like I don't, I don't suggest anybody call shows like this. But nobody caught on, and they kept and they hired me for multiple <laughs> shows. So, Wait, so you're doing a great job. <laughs> well. I was doing a great job pretending I knew how to call dance, and uh, and then somehow uh, the production manager that they had was moving on to some other job, and they sort of, um, uh, I feel like I could tell 80 stories on how I, how I ended up there. But basically, <laughs> the person who was the production manager knew me from other, other engagements. He somehow knew me from the touring house at Stony Brook, and so they sort of suggested to St. Luke's that they, that they look into me. And then I ended up at St. Luke's with a full-time job at 23, it was like, it made no sense. I was very lucky in many ways, immensely lucky in a lot of ways.
0: You, so many people say that they're like, I don't know, it just happened. I love that you're like, just lucky. I just ended up with this (laughs) full-time gig. Like, that's so (laughs) awesome. Yeah, and
2: at 23? (laughs) Nice.
1: Yeah, 23. And then there would be things like, you know, before I, thankfully, before I worked at St. Luke's, I did have a couple of other symphonic gigs. So I wasn't Completely le- le- new, not completely le- is a word, but um, <laughs> it wasn't so new. Uh, but uh, literally, I was coming from gigs where I was like, "Well, what do you mean the musicians want to go on stage prior to the show?" Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs>
0: so,
1: but I got that out at some other person's gig <laughs> before I went to St. Luke.
2: Yeah, I always feel like when musicians just walk on stage, I'm like, "What are you doing?" The curtains up. There's audience members out there, yeah. and they really don't care.
1: No, nobody cares about the fourth wall in Symphonic. <laughs> yeah,
0: apparently not. What was your, your title or your position when you first started at St. Luke's?
1: Production manager.
0: So, what did Which, that all entail?
1: It's similar to, like, you know, there's still that, is, that position still needs to be addressed. So, it's not even though I'm on my third prediction, hold on, production manager, assistant director, director, senior director. So, okay, so I'm on my fourth. <laughs> title but the production (laughs) manager job is still like rolled into that Um, but it's essentially like your assessment is pretty good in in terms of like when we're actually what we would call in a service so in a rehearsal or in a show um, there is definitely a very stage manager aspect to what I'm doing I'm I'm sometimes even company manager for that point I'm managing a lot of needs by several artists who all need their needs met so that they can do their art? So there's a lot of you know chair height memorization and this is squeaky <laughs> and I can't see and you know there's a lot of <laughs> what do you, also what do you mean I can't bring my purse on stage? So there's a lot of there's a lot of that. Um, so very <laughs> much stage manager, company manager type activities when we're not actively in service. Then and then depending on what what title i had at the time but it all kind of is the same it's sort of the prep until that until you're in that place um working with my department and there's obviously separate people who deal with hiring and who deal with the physical music parts and and those folks so working all together just to make sure we're ready for rehearsals and show and budgets and things like that you know
0: how much musical instruments and orchestra layouts did you have to learn on the job? or I'm assuming almost all of it on the
1: job. Everything, everything. To the fact that um, me and music people will understand a little bit more. But for me, knowing the difference of like, well, is the piano a solo piano or is it orchestral? Like, this was, like, big information for me. <laughs> yeah. she <laughs> still and says sounds-
2: things like that. Or with, <laughs> especially with Bel Canto, she would be like, well, this piano's a something. And so it only comes from one company on the East Coast. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> piano's a piano. Apparently not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure um, Valerie, who's my boss and friend who's worked with me at St. Luke's for the entire time I've been there um, was like all proud of me like the first time I was able to tell you what piece you know air on a String actually was you know <laughs> <laughs> literally any bit of information that I'm able to spout I learned I learned on the job
0: <laughs> that's amazing how much well I know you work with a number of people but you were the person I think that I always worked with On like orchestra setups like the placement of the people in the orchestra is that your job at st luke's and how was that to learn because i know that took me such a long time um with bel canto a caramore and we almost always do the same setup but you work with not always the same size of people and group of people correct how well, how was that to learn
1: it's it's basically knowing who to ask in what situation and sometimes nobody has an opinion. And then thankfully I've done this long enough where I can just suggest something. Um, but in the beginning, it's a little bit difficult because you don't know who's in charge of that specific thing. And depending on, yeah. is it chamber music? You know, is it conducted? Is the conductor in charge? Are we in charge? Is the presenter? Because um, for St. For Luke's, We not only have our own programming, but we are also hired for whatever anybody wants to do. So there could be a variety of people who have opinions on what we should all be doing. Um, The worst being when there is no one central person who's the answer, and then it just turns into sometimes a a little bit of a debate of who should go where, depending on the piece, depending on who's involved and things like that. So now I I don't think of it honestly as much of an Issue. Um, the things that become issues are when there are elements that are non traditional. Let's say we had a conductor come in who wanted, who essentially I think almost put the winds and brass with their backs to the audience. We had somebody else who wanted the singers into just inter. inter- first into the orchestra but standing so the people behind them couldn't see <laughs> the conductor did not care did not care he was like well we'll just pretend you can see me he was like that's not <laughs> so-, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah so so this uh uh you know, a standard kind of thing. I, I pretty much know who to ask, but it's, it's when you're doing, when somebody's being, let's say, extra creative. <laughs> That's awesome. Extra creative.
0: We should extra use that creative. <laughs> when you mentioned the chairs, I totally forgot that you guys have three different heights of chairs.
1: It's at more than that at Domena. Um, because when we were, you know, figuring out what what we needed in the building, one thing that we knew was always a thing was that everybody kind of had a different preference, and we wanted it to be good for musicians, but it just turned into like too many choices.
2: <laughs> there's a lot of
0: choices. There. Yeah, too I mean. many
1: choices. There's two, three types, and there's six types technically. Um, so there's a lot of choices. <laughs>
0: But you guys have them all labeled, right? You like, I, I don't remember if they're color-coded, like the, the feet are color-coded and then all they of the are. racks that they go on are coded. And there's yep. diagrams on how to put them all together. And so then you just, I guess, had to memorize, you know, what violin player wanted what chair and that cellist. I used to have chair. a chart.
1: Yeah, you know, you're totally right, is that you just sort of memorize it. I used to have a chart and, and would have that with me, especially for Caramore because I would never remember – Because Caramore has their own heights, and they don't. Mm. It's not like it's the same color coordination that we did, or the labeling, rather. Oh, of course. So, no. Why would that? I don't blame (laughs) them. Everybody has their own method.
2: Yeah. Every cable (laughs) foot length on a sound cable is different than the lighting cable is different than the next company. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I used I used to keep it written down, but you know, at this point, I'm I'm fairly decent at somebody just telling me the name, and I know what they're gonna prefer that's awesome
0: so can you tell us a little bit about orchestra uh orchestra st luke's because it's a set you have a set roster correct Mm -hmm. or a -hmm. primary roster and i'm assuming you have people that rotate in and out based on the needs of the piece that you're doing but how does that work
1: so right so so and i will say or the orchestra st luke's is, is very unique in many ways um and I, I make no claims that we're like anybody else, <laughs> but for <laughs> us, <laughs> there, uh, there's basically a core group. There's a, an, a, the ensemble, um, who are our first call. They are the people who would, you know, who would be in the first chair most of the time, pending, obviously everybody can't be in the first chair at the same time, but <laughs> for the most part. Um, and then there's, there's other lists. There's a B list. There's a C list. There's a sub list and so we can be whatever size anybody needs us to be you know we've done berlioz symphony fantastique with you know huge you know huge numbers we can do that and then we can do something that's small and bach and chamber and and we can be whatever but yeah we do have the we do have listed players um that that are you know the the St. Luke's group so to speak
0: and then you guys produce your own pieces but you said you guys also Do presented pieces as well, or is that the same thing? Mm -mm.
1: Um, So, so, so pretend it's pre-COVID because now everything's like in a blender. But prior (laughs) to that, (laughs) um, we had our own season. Yeah, we had our we have our own season at Carnegie, which we produce, and then we have our own chamber series and our own, you know, and our own. There's stuff with education. There's things that. We're in charge of, we're, you know, we're making the decisions on what we're playing and where we're going, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's what I would, that's where I say, you know, that's our programming. And then there's, um, what would be presented, meaning that, so for example, um, Master Voices is a choir in the city, a couple of times a year, they want to do a show, they need, uh, they need an orchestra, they would hire us to be a part of their, their programming. Um, and that, in that sort of work, bands so many things you know they've the orchestra has been on tour brief tour (laughs) uh with peter gabriel we've done background music for the united arab emirates because of the un or you sort of anything you could possibly imagine we have been brought into (laughs) so that's awesome yeah
0: that's a huge variety so what are your job requirements for each one of those or for the two the two sections, like so, the stuff that you guys produce in house, what is it that you're responsible for to set up? Because you're not the one that actually contacts. Or I, I don't think you're not the one that actually contacts the musicians, are you?
1: No, uh, my department is actually four plus people. <laughs> um, we have a, a full time personnel manager who is the direct contact musicians in terms of hiring scheduling, pay, you know, running, you know, the the beginnings of the payroll before it goes to finance. We have a full-time librarian who deals with getting the parts and, and putting markings in and uh, and coordinating distribution of practice parts and, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, obviously my boss is overseeing the whole thing. <laughs> and then uh, I'm in the, I, not that I don't ever talk to musicians directly, um, but mine would usually fall into uh, Setup questions, or you know, now when we're doing the live streams, there's a lot of you know, like COVID precautions. It's sort of not quite, not uh, not quite personnel management territory is where I would come in with direct contact for them. Sounds fun.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff that I like to do. So to me, it sounds <laughs> fun. So how has it been during COVID times? Because I know I helped you guys do a few. Oh my gosh, what
1: were they called? They were like... They were donor donor. events, essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But they were so cool. I got to learn so much about it. And then you have done... You were just mentioning um, live broadcasts.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What has that been like? How many people have you gotten in a room together?
1: Again, very lucky. Um, St. Luke's is still trying to produce material, whatever we can. Um, So we did have those donor calls, which were like Q&As with... you know with certain people um and then in october we produced some live streams from dimena which were weekly uh and then that carried over into and this is a perfect example of we were producing our own stuff in october and then in november we had temple emmanuel who wanted programming for their for their folks and they had brought us on to do live streams from the temple Uh, So there was two months of, of, of work, essentially no audience, of course, Um, live on the internet, the number of people I want to say maxed out at eight. (laughs) There's not a not a ton in the room at the same time. (laughs) Is
2: that eight Uh, musicians or eight everybody, including you or filming or anybody else?
1: Eight musicians. When we're okay. in Demena, the cameras are little robots that are not manned by anyone. Or like "manned" is probably the wrong word these days. They're not handled <laughs> by <Person> anyone. <laughs> <laughs> they're persons. Um, <laughs> they're they're you know they're controlled from a, a room. <laughs> so in in actually in the room, I was the only tech person during the live stream in the one corner of the room. Uh, that was not being picked up by the cameras uh for the most part in in rehearsals and up until that point you're right there is there is a certain amount of other crew um there's you know there's people who are in charge of the of the stream and and the camera direction and then my team and that kind of thing but we we did make a point to not you know if you didn't need to be in the room then you're not in the room um and there's other spots that everybody kind of needed to be in anyway. So it wasn't like there was this, you know, inundation, but it was more than eight in the room.
0: But if you guys are in the room that I'm used to being in, it's a huge room that could fit like yeah.
1: 200 people, right? Correct. Uh, back in the day, uh, or a fire capacity is something like 298, I want to say. And we're yeah. doing eight surrounded by cameras and me. <laughs> so so, very, so there is, very, there's yeah. room.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an awesome room to, to perform in. What were the protocols that you guys had to do? Did, they, did anybody have to wear shields or masks? Or was it all, um, were they all string players? Or did you have wind players at
1: all? So funny, funny story. Um, everybody <laughs> who can keep their face covered does wear a mask. So if you watched any of our live streams, you would see that they were wearing masks. Uh, the masks were mostly made by actually our executive director's mom, uh, June Row, so which was hilarious because this, this woman let me give her specs and was cranking out masks.
0: That's <laughs> um, awesome.
1: Yeah, it was, it was very, very sweet. Um, so our string players did have their faces covered. Now, in terms of what to do with the winds and brass, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things, mm-hmm. and like, for example, Plexi was done by some orchestras. But then it came out that plexi was not helpful in terms of this and was creating pockets in the room that were not being, uh, this is the wrong oh. English, but not changed over by the air handler. There's better language for that. So, so then plexi went away. Um, did I have plexi on hand? Because if somebody was really adamant they wanted plexi, would I have given it to them? Probably. But there wasn't at the time, before that final thing came out, it was sort of up in the air as to whether or not it was helpful. Um, I'm sanitizing everything. The custodial staff is sanitizing everything. I'm yelling at people for, you know, getting just close to one another. They are sat um, six feet apart. And if it's winds or brass, they're sat 10 feet apart. Uh, and to more with that is I bought an assortment of mask covers and masks with gaps in them and at the moment we have not found a successful way to incorporate them because one of the bell covers literally you couldn't hear a beat that the clarinet tried to play the note and you couldn't hear it because the bell cover was preventing the sound from coming out
2: <laughs> uh, so, right. how interesting
1: <laughs> very strange and i've i've been trying to you know figure out what the best way to go ahead we are obviously asking people to test Um, so we're trying to incorporate as many safety protocols as we can, but also be able to produce a show. Um, I, they get an email from me in advance being like, by the way, you're all going to be together. This is not the time to, you know, get on a plane. (laughs) So
0: they're,
1: they're constantly inundated inundated with safety protocols and I'm cleaning and spraying and I'm still looking into, you they keep showing these foggers that I'm fascinated with, but I'm pretty sure if I start fogging out a wood room, the wood's gonna warp. But I, I and your I string people of, are
2: mad. Yeah,
1: I have dreams of fogging them with anti germicide.
0: <laughs> I actually like this idea. That I think that would be pretty hilarious. <laughs> I have heard people talk about that, but I've not actually seen it. Well, that's not so true. I saw a picture of it. A stage manager was using it. They were in a rehearsal room. And then at the beginning or the end of every rehearsal day, they would just like fog the entire room, which looks kind of creepy, but it's kind of cool looking. But I guess it's the best way to kind of sanitize everything all at once.
2: We were talking about doing it because working on the red carpet, you load everything onto a truck, you drive it. You know, in L.A., we're not that far away. And then afterwards, everybody's touched it. What do you do? And so there was Mm -hmm. talk of getting foggers and fogging the truck before we drive out there. And then after strike, fogging (laughs) the truck before it comes back into our warehouse. But then we haven't done any events, so we didn't continue doing anything. So, but yeah, there was talk of that because everybody's, you know, walking down the red carpet, breathing on, touching, taking pictures, whatever, of everything.
0: I would just love to see red carpet. Like, you know, they've got to have, like, matching masks to all their awesome outfits. That would be cool to see if it ever comes back. Mm-hmm, there's there's mm-hmm. a couple
2: who have done still publicity things, and they do usually have matching. Or well, like the matching, royal family, yeah. they usually have a matching well, their outfit.
0: That's awesome.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They're all are all coordinated I was able anyways. to do right was get coordinating colors on all their faces. <laughs> <It> did not <laughs> necessarily match their ensemble.
0: Ah, yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. So, did you guys do like concert blacks and then like a black face mask?
1: We actually so when we we've evolved a little bit, and I think we've gone back and forth a little bit with the black masks. But the masks that June made were all gray, actually. Hmm. So they were wearing all black, but their face masks were gray.
2: Was there a reason for the gray just to be different? That's what she had a bunch of, something?
1: This is where I left final decision to her. I had said muted and solid. And what came back was gray. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know everybody liked.
0: <laughs> I like gray. I, mean, I have a really great yeah. gray one. So that's better than yellow or, um, sweet. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I yeah. Like- yeah.
2: I either have nerdy things like Star Wars or Doctor Who, or it's just a solid color.
0: <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I change my mind. So what? What are some of the? Uh, what are some of your favorite stories? Like the craziest thing that you've had to do in your position?
2: Such chair heights I, and disinfect.
0: Yeah, that's not
1: very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> not glamorous. I know there's so many, so many terrible stories of how unglamorous <laughs> things are. All of our um, lives,
2: yeah.
1: Right, right. Uh, okay, well, I would give you two. I actually wrote, I wrote notes on this myself because I was <laughs> like, well, I got to have something. <laughs> so one would be when we did, uh, we did a couple of concerts with Peter Gabriel when he was touring and we had to go to Montreal And they provided us with a private plane. Like, this was like the glam gig of the century. It was the highlight of my entire career. They provide us with a private plane. We're flying out of Newark from some special, not any of the terminals you've ever seen. You go through security in a different way. But if you've ever traveled with players, (laughs) uh, the transport of instruments is... uh, Special. It's special. (laughs) 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 so we managed to get the cellos on the plane but there's nowhere to go for the bases so they had to be put into the hold and somehow I got them to agree that I needed to see how they were secured now mind you it's a little bit pompous on my end because I'm now questioning these people who actually work (laughs) on planes on whether or not they know how to secure a a very expensive (laughs) piece of luggage unfortunately Um, But somehow I get them to to agree with this. And in Newark, it's no big deal. And I don't remember how I got into the holds in Newark. (laughs) But but when we were in Canada, the crew is clearly French. They don't speak English. They don't know why I'm climbing into the hold. And also, (laughs) let me tell you, I have to climb up the conveyor belt. (laughs) I'm not so good with heights. Like, I'm not, like... I could have had a career in rigging because I also have a degree in math, but I wasn't going to survive up there. <laughs> so, so, but I had to like stifle all this because I'm trying to look cool and like I know what I'm doing and not right. freaking You're, out you're con- in charge, I, right? I'm I'm in charge here and climbing up this conveyor belt. And there's a picture of me. And yes, I, I have to. I, maybe that's a well sense, Stacey. Um, yes. <laughs> Of me in the hold because they took, a, you know, they knew I wanted a photo because who's ever going to have this? And it's just me crowded, crouched down with the bases next to me. And I'm sure the crew in Montreal thought I was clearly insane. The newer crew <laughs> didn't care, but the Montreal folks are not, uh, <laughs> we're not having it. Um, so that, that's our, you know, that's probably one of my most exciting glam stories.
0: What was it uh, like to fly on a private jet?
1: Well, see, it was funny because I was the last one on the plane. So I was missing out on all, like, a lot of the food service. Oh, so I would crazy. come on and they'd be like, you missed all of these things. And I was like, I was tying your base to them. Right. <laughs> like, that's I hate you. You couldn't, right. you couldn't save me a lobster claw. Not that that's what they were eating. But <laughs> I was like, lobster <laughs> <don't know>, claws? <laughs> <please. laughs> no, that's it's not what they ate. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was the, um the the flight crew that normally flew a certain hockey team and I should know, but I don't. And it was Canada. <laughs> so I'm, I don't know if there's a lot of them, but they flew around a certain hockey team and this was off season. So they were, you know, they were our crew and the flight from Newark to Montreal is not very long. So it was like by the time we got up in the air that we were already going back down. Um, So I would miss a lot of the food. And I know for a fact that I, I believe I was, you know, causing some upsetness. <laughs> Or not—that's not a word either. Um, of the of the talent because I we were taking too long securing to the instruments on the return. <laughs> so um, it's like, very just glamorous. Minute.
2: I need a picture. <laughs> just five more minutes. That's not a good angle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, never mind you. You do this all the time. <laughs> so, um, it's very cool. Like you know, there's there's like a ton of food and there's like real silverware. And we actually had, you know how like in certain subway or train cars, they have that seat that's backwards. And for some reason mm-hmm. on this plane, there was one of those. And Val and I are sitting backwards, which is amazing when you take off and you have actual oh. silverware in front of you and it all goes fine. Because
0: usually you're just like pushed back into your seat and this time you're just like pushed forward. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was it was very odd, um, and we almost, you know, impaled the trumpet player with a fork. But it was
2: fine. <laughs> He's good. He survived.
1: <laughs> He's alive. He's doing well. <laughs> He's just a trumpet player. It's not <laughs> like <a first laughs> got we got a ton of them. Um, so my other story <laughs> uh, is uh, for Paul Taylor. So Paul Taylor, American modern dance is now the title of that dance company, uh, in the last few years, has been bringing St. Luke's to be in the pit on their New York City, I don't think it's called a tour, but their New York City presence. (laughs) And so, you know, for the last couple of years, that's what I've been doing. And it's been really amazing. And one of the years, one of the pieces that we were doing, what the repertoire was, was a piece by PDQ Bach. And it was a kooky kind of piece that involved some musicians blowing into bottles
2: yes and
1: oh yeah and they all had different notes and they had to be tuned correctly and I spent months collecting liquor bottles and anybody who would come into the office because again I'm not a musician in my own right so I didn't trust myself to my own devices so anybody who came in and for some reason St. Luke's has a lot of horn players on staff So I'd be like, you there, come blow into this bottle and let's look at the tuner and tell me if you agree (laughs) with what I think it is. Um, And so this is going on for months. And my desk is, it is 30 30 plus bottles on my desk. Um, So it looks like I've been throwing like a really amazing party in a two by two space.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When nobody else is there.
1: Right, everybody else's desk looks completely normal. My desk, rager. Um, and so so there's 30 liquor bottles. We're like a week before the first rehearsal. This has taken me months to assemble. Um, and also there's part of me that's like, this is all going to go wrong. <laughs> oh, like a week before the first rehearsal. And I come to my desk and everything's gone. Janitors. I, yeah. But here's the thing. It's been on my desk for months and we had a sh- change in the custodial staff a new person didn't realize the ridiculousness of my life Um, and probably, what what he thought, I don't know, because he probably genuinely thought I, would like, literally struck a party to my desk, (laughs) like, seriously, who, like, why would have I thrown them away? They're all gone. I'm, like, screaming in the lobby of the Center, (laughs) having a full-fledged breakdown, about 30 bottles that were tuned to C and B-flat and this one and that. And, like, (laughs) Um, we end up recovering most of them because they ended up in, what is that room called, where they the garbage stays until they come to pick it up, whatever that closet is outside. Um, and we managed to pull them. And then I, of course, I had to clean them all and then relabel my entire desk as do not come here or I will kill everyone.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm surprised because a lot of... A lot of our janitors, uh, I can't find bottles and cans because they all take them to the recycling center to get some extra dollars. I don't know if you guys oh. do that out there. But I once I was gathering newspapers because I needed, I think we were doing um, The Odd Couple, and I needed piles and piles of newspapers and magazines. And so I kept hoarding them. And then one day, yeah, the janitors came and I was like, seriously, you haven't emptied this bin in months. It's not even where <laughs> right. it's supposed to be. Why did you take it? <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, isn't it's- there some unspoken rule that if it's on the desk you don't touch it? Like, it's like yeah. 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 But so after that <laughs> Um, oddly enough, then we get to the first rehearsal and it actually goes okay. And like, you know when you work so hard on something but you don't really get as much credit as you thought you are gonna get? <laughs> like- <laughs> because it was like <laughs> probably not that exciting to them at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It was> like- <laughs> But I was very oh, proud bottles. of my moment. <laughs> yeah, so, I was like, this isn't quite a i C. I'm like, then add more water. I'm done here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so wasn't just the exact bottle completely empty and dry made that note? Or you guys were adding water levels like drop by drop to make it that
1: note? There were water levels. Now, listen, I don't know that this is the only way to do this. So, again, not claiming... <laughs> expert way here. But I had different bottles of different sizes because also they had to be in certain octaves. And then I had water levels. And then what I find out is the way I blow into a bottle might not be the same way that you blow into a bottle. So they all had to tune their own bottles on their own time <laughs> because you know, and then again, also what instrument they played is like what kind of space like the support they have. Stamina. Yeah, I don't even- <laughs> <laughs> So then the flute player would be trying to tell other people how to properly blow into the bottle. And it was like a whole scene. But after a while, I was like, I've done my part. This is on you now. If That's flat. (laughs) That's your fault. (laughs) That sounds like
0: a little bit of a nightmare. Because now you have like water all over the stage. You have germs all, I mean, you know, even pre-COVID, you have germs all over the stage. And people like, you can't necessarily clean it very well. Because then you have to like refill the bottle to the correct height again. Huh.
1: We were in the pit, so it wasn't any better. Sorry for interrupting you. So there's cables running everywhere. Oh,
2: yeah. I always feel like horn players when they, like, do their spit valve release. I'm always grossed Mm -hmm. out by that anyway, so. I'm like, did you just drop spit in the middle of the stage?
1: They would say it's condensation. Yeah, they would say that.
2: Um, That's still coming from your mouth and spit? Uh, I always hated cleaning up after we had an orchestra on stage, because I was like, there's just piles of spit all over my stage. (laughs) The funny thing is, I haven't noticed
0: that with I don't think I ever noticed it at Caramore, but that's because Angela had to deal with it. But I don't notice it with (laughs) Dr. Novo. And I
1: move the orchestra. Actually, not even me. It's the Caramore crew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I don't really, haven't really noticed it on my team. And I've, like, moved them between rooms every now and then, which is
1: fun.
2: I I don't know. We had one orchestra at the Norris, and every time they came through, there was a pile of spit.
0: Maybe it's different for period pieces or something. I don't know. I would think Maybe that they would.
2: Some spit. people just have more uh, condensation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pretty- even
1: going down this path. I'm going to get a bunch of letters. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> the horns of Saint Luke's are going to march upon my home.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we listened to that podcast. It's not spit. <laughs>
0: That is awesome. How have you, did you guys have to, What is? when does your season usually start? So did, you had a season set up and then when COVID hit, did you have to change everything last minute or were you still in the process of of setting up a season?
1: We, we were mid-season. We, we actually sent everybody home on the last day of a run of education concerts. We were up at Hostos and that's in the Bronx. And the very last day, we told everybody to stay home because I think we had heard I don't, something having to do with either schools weren't coming or something, or it just sort of really set in. I can't remember what exact detail made us go. Maybe this isn't the time. Um, but that whole week before it really became firm, I was already ro- roaming around hostos, disinfecting light switches and and, <laughs> and chairs and things like that. And then that Friday we we didn't have the show, and the office went remote. And then that was kind of the end of it. But there was a ton of stuff that basically was canceled. So we were, um, yeah, we were mid season. I would say you know, our season is considered September through August, but things start kind of really rolling in October. September is usually like a, a ramp up of sorts, um, depending on what's going on. So, yeah, so March, we're kind of in the thick of it.
0: I remember the few, well, the two jobs that I had, just no one really believed that it was happening. Everyone was like, oh, we'll just do it next week. We'll do it next week. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't, but you're thinking about disinfecting stuff. I feel like working with artists and musicians were already hyper aware of germs because they just can't
2: Yeah,
0: so I feel like, that just makes sense that even before anybody said anything, you're like, well, we'll just make sure people don't get sick on this gig because they can't. I remember my other question now. When you do these concerts with like the dance company or with, uh, would you say, Peter Gabriel, do you guys do a lot of rehearsals beforehand or did you just like show up and had like a one hour rehearsal and do concerts?
1: It really depends on the nature of the engagement. Um... Like a pop star isn't going to expect a lot of rehearsal with the orchestra, but there could be rehearsals prior to us joining those people. So occasionally we're brought on to do uh, the Rainforest Gala, and that has a ton of pop stars, but there'll be like a rehearsal prior to the pop stars coming in. Or the, I'm sure there's a better word than pop stars, but the, the <laughs> um, talent. Yeah, the talent. <laughs> the the classical music talent.
2: Yeah, the headliners. <laughs>
1: yeah um yeah so it really it really depends paul taylor requires a ton of rehearsal because there's usually 18 pieces 20 pieces every concert's a different arrangement i've been the 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 plan of of before (laughs) uh so there would be two weeks ish of rehearsals um with with basically one week of just music rehearsal and then in as we hit those pieces again then dancers would be present at those rehearsals. Uh so it it really depends on what the nature of the gig is.
0: That makes sense. When we worked with you guys, what was it? One day one or two days at Demena and then one day up at Caramore and then a performance. So it was like two run
1: throughs. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That- And again, that really depended on the nature of the piece. I think some of those operas required more rehearsal than others. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Do you guys do do mostly uh, known pieces? So, like, everybody knows Beethoven, everybody knows this stuff. Or do you guys do new work that, like, everybody Mm. has to try to kind of get used to?
1: Uh, Again, it really depends. Um, For a while, there was, like, a certain period of time, I guess St. Luke's was known. So like from from like a Carnegie audience, they probably expected a certain time period of things that what you're saying of of known stuff like Bach. Um, But you can't only do known stuff (laughs) Uh, because then you're all competing in the same stuff. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so there's so there's either less played works by known composers. And then there's also depending, again, on what we're talking about, uh, if someone's bringing us into something, it might be something that, that is not as well played. I feel like Master Voices is actually really good at, at presenting works that may be, may be well known to them, but they were new to me. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so it, it does really depend. And then as recently as uh, November, you know, we had we had folks who were alive and well <laughs> and in more of the new music scene that had played with us more recently. Uh, so it really kind of depends on what, what it is, you know, what the gig is. That sounds
0: exciting. I mean, I, I kind of like you, like I don't know all the traditional stuff, you know, I don't know all the box stuff. I wouldn't be able to, whatever you mentioned earlier, air, whatever, an A flat, you know, like I don't know <laughs> what these, these, these are. So it always cracks me up in, um, with Teatra Nuovo, when you know, we do this whole aria day, the very first day of, of or the second day of our festival, where all of our singers get up and like sing an aria and they're like this such and such, and everybody knows what that is. And I was like, I don't even know this opera. Like, I don't know where these are going from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself now that it's been five years, six years, and I'm starting to learn it. But I'm I'm sure it's the same way with you with the orchestra, you know, you're like, these are just not pieces that I grew up with, so they're not pieces that I know, but I love being able to learn
1: new pieces with them. As they go. Right. That is very much part of all the learning on the job, so to speak, is that there's now things that I recognize that prior to working here, I would not, I would not have known. And I don't know that I've ever would have even been able to tell you, you know, something that I liked classically prior to working at St. Luke's. Yeah, exactly. that's when I, right. As when I first, I don't know if it was a St. Luke's or if it was right before that, when I was working for the collegium, but I would come home and I would tell my mom, And I would be like, they're having such intense conversations about a phrase, and I don't hear the difference. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about, but it sounds really important.
0: (laughs) But I work on it all the time. He's always like, "Listen to this," and now listen to this. You'll hear the difference, right? And I'm in the back of the room, being like, "No." six times now, and I still don't hear the difference. I can't figure this out. Like, I've gone through all these lectures over and over and over, and I don't know the difference between it. <laughs> it all kind of sounds the same to me. But
2: And you guys have way more experience. I, uh, yeah, am lost. I'm like, ah, uh, what does the lights look like? <laughs> They're lit, right? I
1: had, a, <laughs> I had a conductor, I was standing at the elevator with him, and he was listening to the sound it was making and he's like, What what do you think that is? And I was like, This is not the time for me to start guessing notes with you.
2: Yeah. The guy at work, because he's a fine furniture maker, will be sitting in the office and he'll jump up and run outside. He's like, The wrong saw blade was on that saw, I could hear it when it turned on. I was like, Okay <laughs> I heard the saw turned on, but I didn't know that it was the wrong blade due to the noise it made. Good job. <laughs>
1: very impressive
2: yeah then you just get trained to those things
0: yeah you mentioned conductor do you guys have a I think you used to you had like a conductor a maestro for your season do you still do that or do you have different conductors coming in for different pieces
1: we do have a principal conductor and his name is Bernard Labadie, uh and he's been with us for a few years now. And he's, he's basically that one that um, is part of the Carnegie is the, is the Carnegie programming, essentially he's the one who's deciding that he's working with our artistic department about what we're playing. And of course, Carnegie has their own say in that as well. Uh, so he, he would be that, but again, going back to the idea that we're also hired, if somebody wants to bring us on for something, they may have their own conductor. And, and, and Bernard has a specialty in a certain uh, realm of music. So he, he might not necessarily be the choice for some other things that are newer. And usually, if you're hiring the orchestra for something, you have your own musical decisions that you want to make. And so they, they're either going to be the conductor, they're associated with a the conductor they want to bring in, or they just have their own, their own plan.
0: And then, are you the one that has to? Because when we were talking earlier about like orchestra setup, then you're the one that's kind of in communication with that other person to figure out who's who they want to go where and what that pit plot Correct. is going to
1: look like. Literally, in my calendar right now, is talk to Bernard about the winter spring because I have to figure out what setups he's going to want for those live streams. Not that he's coming in to conduct them, but there's some programs that he is are in his wheelhouse, so to speak. And so I will be in communication with him for that. Uh, so yeah, most most definitely t- getting answers from uh, a conductor on their preferences is definitely part of the job.
0: I have to say, Angela has this really cool program that she sent to me, but I could never quite figure out how to do it, where she could create pip plots that have the actual instruments on them, or some of them do,
1: do they? No, the piano. No, you're thinking of somebody else's. <laughs> Mine don't have the little violins. I've seen that though. No, but yours thought it was kind of silly. (laughs) Size, right? Say that again, Cynthia. (laughs) Yours is
0: like the correct size though, right? So that you can actually see how it fits inside of a a
1: location. It's pretty close. And it's funny that you say you never were able to figure out because I don't remember what I did either. And I made I managed to set this program up and then I can't even teach anybody how to use it (laughs) because I don't remember (laughs) what I did. But yes. It's close-ish. I, I don't think, you know, nobody who studies drafting is going to be all that impressed with it. But for our purposes, it's it's close enough. What is the name no, also- of it? CAD STD. And why does, I think it's supposed to be CAD standard. And the program is like $25. Um, and I'm sure I'm not using it to all of its abilities. Uh, but uh, but, it's, but it serves its purpose. A lot of people, for some reason, were using PowerPoint. And that's fine for like the visual of what goes where, but it was getting harder in certain c- scenarios knowing like, well, does this actually fit on the stage or is there a pathway and things like that? So it, it it's not qu- it wasn't quite useful to me to be using like an image software for this kind of work. Mm-hmm.
2: I know I've worked with the- Cindy a couple times. She'll give me basic, like, this is how big the pit is. Can I fit these instruments? And I'll do mm-hmm. like a, a sketch up of it and be like well if your drums take up the standard more or less eight by eight and you have a baby grand piano that's your entire pit right and i can show (laughs) you in this drawing that you can't fit many more now if the drums is willing to shrink and your piano is a stand-up then we can fit a couple more but yeah cindy would send me pictures and be like how many do you think can fit in here and i'm like dude what instruments and what kind of, yeah, what is
0: their layout and. Angela's so awesome. I mean, I should send you some of the the drawings that she did when we were at Caramore because like I said, Caramore is such a tiny little stage, you know, and we would have, I don't know how many orchestra members, and then Will would want to fit like 60 singers on stage, you know, and there's just like no room. And she literally would have all of these drawings of like who goes where and, uh. If we could put risers in the back, and who we needed to, you know, finagle and move where, and that's what I wanted when I was at Teatro Nuovo because then all of a sudden it was my job to figure out where the orchestra <laughs> went. And I was like Angela in the beginning, like I have no idea. I'm still figuring out what an oboe looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now I know it's what an oboe. It's
1: still looks confusing. Like. Don't, don't feel bad
0: about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like I don't know if this fits or not. Um, it barely did, but we made it fit. <laughs> but that's when I asked her for the program. Cause I was like, I need to figure out if, if this is actually going to work because like, we're here now we have it. This is our venue. Like hopefully all these people that are rehearsing will actually fit in the venue. Like we think they're going to fit in the <laughs> venue.
1: Yeah. My favorite tact when people don't believe me, when I say things aren't going to fit is to draft it, but just draft it like on the stage. He was like, you see this group here, this group is not actually on the stage. They're in the column. And this group here is <laughs> in the house and this. <laughs> Do you see where I've drawn the lines? That's the edge of the stage. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have actually put tape measures on the floor and been like, this is where the stage is. (laughs) So you tell me where you think you're going to go. While standing on
0: stage our first day at Domina when we were, you know, because we would rehearse by ourselves in a room that I would tape out and then we would get to Domina. And of course, all of the singers want to like inch towards the orchestra and the orchestra wants to inch towards singers. And so we would tape everything, but because we're in this big room, the orchestra wants more space. So they would try to spread out anyways, you know, or the singers would try to spread out and we're like, no, we're, we're literally trying to see if you fit. And we would like tape out the columns and use music stands. And thankfully I do I have to do I don't really do that anymore. But at Car- Teatro at Novo, we all rehearse together anyways. Like, we're in the same room for mm-hmm. two weeks together, which makes it a little bit different. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely give and take. But working with Angela actually made me, this is going to sound horrible, but made me respect the orchestra a lot more. <laughs> because I learned why they're asking for the things they're asking for. You know, as opposed to just, like, them saying why they couldn't have it or that they wanted it. You know, like, learning why it was they wanted these extra six inches or why it was they had to sit on this side of a person or whatever. So
1: that's actually really interesting, because I always find that when they ask me for things that I I don't get right away, I'm like, tell me what it is you're trying to do. Because sometimes the thing that they think they need is not exactly what they need. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, explain to me what it is that's happening now. (laughs) So that I can figure out what I can do for you. Um, But it is and that's always helped me too. I think that almost that's what helps me remember certain things is because it's been explained out to me. Like I once sat, I'm pretty sure it was, Car- it was a Caramore opera where we were very, we were very tight. We usually were. Um, and I had put uh, a non horn player in, into the right of a horn player. So basically they were in mm-hmm. the bell of the horn and and they were like, I can't sit here. I can't hear anything. I'm like, well, somebody's got to sit there. And and they were like, nobody sits in the bell of the horn. I'm like, don't other horn players sit to the bell of the horn? They're like, yeah, but they're playing the horn. <laughs> and so never <laughs> again will I ever sit anyone in <laughs> the bell of the horn. <laughs> yeah,
2: I never think about that. I'm like, dude, this is your chair.
1: Sit right. here. <laughs> this <is> your- nope. <laughs> Well,
0: I've learned some of our players double up or some of them even play like three different instruments. And I learned that I Mm -hmm. need to give them like two extra feet so that they can set up all their instruments next Mm -hmm. to them. I can't put a chair right next to them because they have like their whole lineup of instruments they need to play.
1: Yeah, my biggest lesson on that was whenever we did gigs that involved saxophones uh, Or you know, doublers for the you know, for that matter, and they were playing four or five instruments, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you, you need a lot of space. Of, space. <laughs> of space.
0: just like I know my musicians that need two music stands, and I know my musicians that need extra light because they're blind, and I know kind of like mm-hmm. you, like I know which musicians mm-hmm. want to have a stool and which ones want to have a chair. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you just kind of learn these things. It's it's interesting, but yeah, my biggest is the
2: percussions. There's, they always have so much space that they need, and how it's situated, and carpets, and five music stands in different areas, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you're gonna have to come here and help me set this up because I have no idea.
1: (laughs) I've been immensely spoiled by our percussionists because they've always been very self-sufficient in terms of setting up, and I, but I will always have a soft spot for them anyway because I always feel like they they have so much production as part of their playing, like just. So, like, how are they going to get from here to there? And how are they going to mute this gong? And oh, I got to lift my leg, and then move. I just—I'm fast. I could just like live in the percussion section all of the time. Plus, they got
2: to transport all those things. They're always like, "Well, I need to have a pickup truck, and I need a loading dock, and I need to know when mm-hmm. the pit's lowering because I need to get my stuff on before the pit lowers." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, let's figure this out. It's a whole scheduling thing just to get you guys in here." Violin walks in with their violin, and they're like, "I'm here."
1: <laughs> right. Right.
0: It's true, it's true. Uh we're getting close to an hour, I think. Is that what your text said to me? Yep. Uh (laughs) (laughs) that's how I know when I'm getting close. To uh for the end of our podcast, and I know I warned you about this. Do you have any twin stories to share with us? (laughs) I think I want to
1: terms of theater or shows, but I do have I do have a story, which is, uh, I have a friend, uh, her name is Lauren, and she is a twin. And I've known her for years. We did martial arts together a million years ago. And uh, there was one time where she had asked me to pick her up from the airport. And I knew she was coming. I knew she had gone somewhere with her, with her twin, Lisa. And I knew I was getting her, but it didn't occur to me they would both be there when I pulled up. <laughs> and so I pull up. And I'm looking at them, and I have no idea which one's my friend and which one is sister. And I'm completely frozen because I don't want to insult Lauren that I didn't automatically know. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, one of them's going to get in the car, and we'll see what happens. That's a
2: good way to do it. Yeah. I mean, the windows you know. were probably up. Just be like,
1: hey, get in. How are you? who's moving? <laughs>
0: No one's moving. <laughs> That's yeah, we so do that interesting. Usually, meet one twin first; it's easier to tell the difference between the two of them. Uh, when you meet them together, usually people have a harder time. But
1: yeah, I don't know. I think it was just I was I was caught off guard. I would like to say, uh, now yeah. that if I saw them, I would know. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think I would know. Um, but yeah, in that moment, I I don't think I was prepared <laughs> to have to select one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've not mentally prepared yourself I for doing it.
2: <laughs> well, I guess we've done that when we don't tell, like at work, that the other one's coming in. Mm-hmm. Because we're across the country. There's usually not just randomly stopping by. But uh, mm-hmm. I had a boss for nine and a half years, and uh, I would usually tell him that Cindy was coming, but he half the time I didn't think he was actually listening to me even though he apparently was and so he would know that Cindy was coming by and then he would automatically know it's Cindy and then be like oh your sister's here she went to the bathroom and I'm like oh yeah that would make sense but like yeah sometimes he'd be like oh you didn't say your sister was coming and I'm like yeah I did (laughs) you knew it was her and not me so Cindy's here
0: (laughs) wandering around the theater that's what I do when
2: I get there uh, normally, you went straight to the bathroom.
0: Um, true. And then I would watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this
0: is always fun. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your stories with us. You have to send us a picture of you in the, um... Airplane. In the pit. Uh, in, <laughs> in the airplane, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, wait, there um, was one
2: uh, when I was stalking you on Facebook, which I did tell you I was doing earlier. Um, there's a couple airplane. pictures of, like, pit players, and they've got, like, uh... Cindy, what did our dad play?
1: The melodicas? The no. Symbols?
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, they had like symbols on their heads.
1: That might have been when we did uh, Pirates of Penzance with Master Voices and they had uh, theatrical action in the pit where, oh my God, I was in the Pirates of Penzance when I was in high school and now I'm blanking on the guy's name. Ferdinand? What's his name? anyway when that guy goes into he goes into the pit to hide at one point and so our percussionist was also doing theatrical action <laughs> so
2: i was like that's weird i don't think that's gonna make the right noise and but there's like two or three guys all with them on their heads and you're sitting there and i thought it was
1: <laughs> you'll have to screenshot it to
2: make it serious <laughs> Okay, I'll comment on
1: it and be like, "It's a this level one. of ridiculousness." Yeah, that's the level of ridiculousness is that doesn't automatically make me know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> Angela's like, "It's just a normal day in rehearsal." Oh,
1: fine, this is what happens. You know, I'm surprised you didn't find the picture of me. There's always a video that one of our cellos posted of me playing the cello, where she like showed me how to play one note, and I'm like so nervous and so proud of myself. I've seen that one. I've her, know, so- yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know why everybody doesn't let me play on their instruments.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're not expensive and very personal. It's fine. It's not. This isn't weird at all.
0: (laughs) I've gotten permission to move people's instruments, but I don't think I've ever played any of their instruments. I might have to work my way to it. But one day we had to move a double bass. I told him to put it there, and he did. And we needed to move it, but they were on dinner break. And so I called, and I was like, "I need you to come back." He was like, "I'm eating," and I was like, "Well." And he was like, "Just pick it up and move it." And I'm like, "I'm not touching your bass." And he was like, "Just it's in a case. Pick it up and move it." And I was so nervous because I was like, "I know how expensive this is."
1: (laughs) More power to you. My bass player would not let me touch his bass; (laughs) that was on fire.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mine was like, I'm eating, and I'm like twenty minutes away. I'm not coming back to move it. I was like, okay, but yeah, but I've not actually played any of them. I might be able, to, maybe I'll I'll try to get a video of a cellist letting me play, but we'll see. If we're ever allowed to perform in person again, then uh right,
1: yeah. and and touch their
0: instrument. Yeah,
2: well then you're gonna have to sanitize everything. I
1: know, I know. They're not gonna like it when we Clorox the string.
2: We <laughs> <laughs> just poured some bleach on your drums. That's okay, right? Fine, you touched right? them, plays, so uh, I bleached it. <laughs>
0: it's better. It's better than like spraying some some uh, alcohol on them or something. Maybe I'll do mm-hmm. that. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's
2: much better than bleach. <laughs>
0: awesome well thank you so much for joining us this has been so much fun and i learned more about orchestras Yay! <laughs> thanks for having me i feel hey. very special thanks Yay. have a great year and hopefully <laughs> things go well for the rest of our covid seasons <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: or hopefully lack of covid seasons let's hope that dies down <laughs> not out where i am california and la is now top oh,
0: we're like the
2: epicenter yeah. of covid
0: Yeah,
2: you're doing great. I'm very proud. My people are very stupid out here.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstalktheater. Total music, Dance Macap, is provided by Kevin MacLeod of
1: Incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.